If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you don't have your Bible with you, I'm sure there's one in your pew there in front of you. Pick one up and uh, turn to page 881. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, it is good to have you with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. As we think about our theme, Immersed, this year, we appreciate so much the the tremendous lesson that we had last Sunday to introduce us to that idea of plunging deeply into and being absorbed by something, and that one that we want to be immersed into We want to be immersed in Christ. We want to be immersed into his will. And we are thinking also this year about being immersed into God's word. And there on the windows, seals, you will see booklets that if you're a guest, we would like for you to take one. They're also at the information center and also scattered throughout the foyer. If you're a member that hasn't yet picked up the booklet, be sure and do that. It's a 15 minute daily Bible study. And I guess it's been a good while since we've done anything that has generated so many positive remarks. It's exciting. We know it's exciting. We're doing it. And uh, I don't have to sell you on it. But if you uh, have missed out on that, you're missing out on a tremendous blessing. And it's not too late. Jump in. Uh, What we need is to study God's Word daily. We need to stand in awe. Allow our heart to stand in awe of the Word of God, as the psalmist says. So be sure and participate in that, and and let's encourage each other along as we study God's Word. Also, as we think this month, we want to study this month about being immersed into discipleship. That's an interesting phrase, uh, disciple or discipleship, as we think about being immersed into discipleship, because... Oftentimes it's a misunderstood phrase where individuals think that a disciple is one who has become a Christian and then has taken the next step. Uh, Many view Christianity as one level and discipleship as another level. Some Christians will talk about thinking about becoming uh, stronger or, or becoming serious about discipleship. What I want you to see is there's no difference in the Bible in a Christian and a disciple. They're one and the same. It's just two terms to describe someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. What is interesting is that we more often today speak of Christians, but the Bible only speaks that word three times. We speak much less often about disciples, and in the New Testament, The word disciple is used over 260 times. Perhaps because our society speaks so often about Christianity and a Christian, 
Perhaps we've made it too broad in its description and in that maybe even watered down the term. For example, for many today, Christianity is just a category. You walk in a bookstore and it's one of the categories of books. Or you think about music and it's a category of music. Or you you think about concerts and it's a category of concerts. Or you think about a value system and it's a category of values. Christian morals or Christian values. And all of a sudden it has become... That category that sometimes has very loose definitions. And then someone just quickly cries out, Sure, I'm a Christian. As if because I read books from that section, or because I enjoy music from that section, or because I have values that that resemble or similar to, that makes me a Christian. And then when someone talks about a disciple, I I don't know really if I'm a disciple. What is a disciple? You see, a disciple is someone who not only follows the teaching of one, but also conforms their life to the teacher. When we say that we are a disciple of Jesus, we're saying, I'm his student. I want to learn what he has to teach, and I want to follow in his footsteps. And you see, in our American culture, we have become very, very comfortable with loosely saying, Sure, I'm a Christian. And then kind of backpaddling a little bit when we talk about discipleship. Because that is to be immersed into the will of God. Where we literally say, I want to know what God wants me to think and say and do. At work, at school, the community, my heart, my personal time of devotion. What is God's will. You remember that a few weeks ago, I shared with you the thought that I was reading a book that I enjoyed a whole lot. I don't know if I shared with you the author and the name, but it's Glenn MacDonald, and he's written a book about the disciple-making church. And he was the one, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, about how too oftentimes congregations measure their, their success and even their future needs based upon the ABCs, attendance, building, and cash. And, and oftentimes churches will look and say, well, we really are doing great as a church because we have a greater attendance now than we had a few years ago. Our, our building has been expanded and it's larger now than it's been a few years ago. And our cash flow, we have greater contribution than what we had a few years ago. And, and our congregation is really doing good. Do you realize if that's how you measure your spirituality, there's a lot of NFL teams that are really spiritual right now. And, and you start looking at businesses and you start looking at, at, at personal goals that individuals set for themselves. And it really resembles that a whole lot, doesn't it? It's about involvement and it's about facility or structures and it's about cash. And friends, there's no doubt that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, disciples would definitely want to go to worship God and be concerned about their example to be there in the worship and the study of God's Word in worship and in Bible classes. There's no doubt that they would be concerned about a building or any tool that is useful to spreading the Word of God. There's no doubt that a disciple will give, not only give, but give generously of the first fruits of what God has given them. But when we think about disciples, are we a disciple making church? That is an entirely different question. Lynn McDonald told the 
story of his parents celebrating their 50th anniversary. And they decided to invite their children and their grandchildren on a cruise with them. And while on this cruise, pulling out of uh, Puerto Rico during the middle of the night, they were awakened at about 4.30 in the morning with the captain of the ship's voice saying, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. I'm very sorry to disturb you so early in the morning, but we have an urgent concern. We have an unconfirmed report that a passenger has fallen overboard. We've already turned the ship around and initiated a search. If anyone is missing, please report their name to the desk immediately. For the next 30 minutes, they all gazed out of their windows and they saw searchlights from Puerto Rico's coast where the U.S. and the Dutch Coast Guards had both come out to search those dark waters for the individual that was overboard. Fifteen minutes later, the captain came on again and he said, Now we're searching for two individuals. If you are or know the whereabouts of Mike Garcia or Eric Armstrong, please contact the desk immediately. Fifteen more minutes later, the captain's voice said, At this time, we're searching for Eric Armstrong. They sat in that water, and the crew worked, and the Coast Guard worked, and the captain refused to move the ship. And for two hours, they searched. And then the captain's voice said, Ladies and gentlemen, we are glad to announce to you, Eric Armstrong has been rescued. He is alive, he's been life-flighted out, and we'll continue our cruise. Glenn explained that at that moment, it dawned on him how his appreciation for that captain had increased tremendously. To think that here is a young man that's fallen overboard and the captain refused to move forward. Instead, turned everyone back and called for help. And he wasn't a president. He wasn't a congressman. He wasn't anyone that anyone else would say is a VIP. But the captain stopped everything for that one 20-year-old young man that decided to go into a restricted area at 4.30 in the morning and do the Titanic thing. He said it was at that point that my honor for this man, this captain, rose tremendously. And that makes us think about our place and our relationship with our Lord. Using that metaphor, in a sense, aren't we all on a ship? In a sense, we're here and the question is, do you understand the place of the captain? And do you see yourself as a guest on the ship or do you see yourself as a shipmate? Do you see yourself as one that you've been placed on this earth and you're a guest on this earth and hey, it's all about me. I hope everybody can make me happy. I'm here to get what I want. I'm going to college so I can get what I want. Where I work, I work there to get what I want. Where I go to church, I visit around until I find a church that gives me everything I want. My life, my desire, my activities. Everything is about me. Why? I'm a guest on this earth. 
Do you have a captain? Haven't really thought about a captain, but I hope he takes care of me. Or do you see yourself on this earth that there is a captain? The scriptures calls him the Lord. And we are to be shipmates. We are to be under his leadership, but available servants. Available to answer to everything that he would ask of us. Because truly what he asks of us is best and it's good. Over these next few weeks, we're going to look at six questions of discipleship. And I want to challenge you as you look at these six questions, not only think of yourself as an individual and continually ask yourself, am I really a disciple? Have I been immersed into discipleship? But then second, I want you to also think about the congregation here at Mount Juliet. Are we a church that makes disciples? What good is it if we could boast of greater attendance, but not any more disciples? What good is it if we can say, we need to add on to a facility, but yet we've not helped make any more disciples? What good would it be if we had three times the contribution we had, but yet there was no concern for whether or not individuals were truly disciples of the Lord? When we look at that great text that was just so capably read just a moment ago, you recognize that it's oftentimes the text we call the Great Commission. Did you notice it's at the very end of Matthew. Matthew is one of the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And we have in this book of Matthew, Jesus' life. We have His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And just before He ascends into heaven, He has one last issuing of concern and command that He wants to give the apostles. It is in this setting that we have... This commission. I love the words of Burton Kaufman. He was an elderly, scholarly man when he wrote these words. And it is about, in his commentary on Matthew, here at the Great Commission. He says, The surprising magnificence of this grand conclusion to Matthew's gospel is unrivaled by anything even from the sacred pages of inspiration. This Great Commission as the saints of all ages have consented to call it, constitutes the marching orders of His church for a day or to all eternity. It is a whole galaxy studded with many of the brightest stars in the firmament of Christian doctrine. It may well be doubted if, any, if many passages of similar length are more freighted with divine truth than are the words of the commission. They are exactly what one should have expected, only far more. From the lips of a supernatural, divine Savior, on point of departure to the eternal world of the Spirit, and uttering one last comprehensive command to His disciples for all generations to come. And what was that command? I know there's more to it than this, but the very heart of that command was go and make disciples. Look in Matthew, the 28th chapter there. Look down in verse 19. See there where he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Let that sink in. Think about that. Make disciples. Here are the apostles. 
Here's what will be issued to the church through the mouths of the apostles. What is it that's God's will? Jesus has died. He is resurrected. He's going to come again. There's a lot that needs to be done in this time period. We have a human race that is desperate for help. What is the help? Go to them and do what when we get there? Talk to them about attendance. Talk to them about a religion. Talk to them about giving. Simply put, go and make disciples. Friends, if we're not a church making disciples, we have failed God's plan completely. If I'm an individual that is very religious, but yet not a disciple, I have missed the mark of Christianity totally. Oh, I can put myself under the category of Christian when people talk about religion. I may put myself under the category of Christian when people talk about morals. But friends, we're talking about whether or not we have a relationship with God. And that brings us to a question. The first question and the only question that we'll ask this morning of the six questions. Who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Because that's what discipleship is about. Have you immersed your life into the Lord? You see, in this great commission, did you notice also when we go back and look at Matthew, the 28th chapter, did you notice back in verse 18? Before he gave the words to go and make disciples, previous to that, he said back in 19 and 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Where? In heaven, but also upon the earth. What does that authority demand? That authority demands that He is Lord. That's why He can say, go and make disciples. That's why He can say, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's why He can say and continue to teach them all things. You know, oftentimes someone will say something and someone will say, well, who are you? The Lord can say, I can answer that question. I am the one that has all authority, not only on earth, but in heaven. Yes, sir. You're Lord. What do you want me to do? I want you to be a disciple. And then when you become a disciple, I want you to be concerned about other people's souls also. And I want you to help make disciples. Paul helps us see a whole lot about this concept of of the authority of Jesus and Him truly being Lord of our life. Look, if you will, to Philippians, the third chapter. In Philippians, the third chapter, we have a passage that much could be said about it, but if I could just remind you of what it is, it's where Paul is looking at his life. And before he became a Christian, there were many things that he could brag about that maybe to us today doesn't seem like that big a deal, but to a Jewish man in his time period, it was significant. He could boast of his education. He could boast of his bloodline. He could boast not only of of who he was, but of the tremendous work that he had already done for the cause that he had lived in. And yet when he became a Christian, notice what he says in verse 7 in Philippians 3. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. Now notice this phrase. I count all things loss for the excellence 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and to be found in Him. What's at the heart of the passage we just read? Paul is saying it's all about my Lord. Okay, Paul takes us a little broader than that. He says, okay, it's all about Jesus Christ, my Lord. Okay, back us out a little further, Paul. And he says, it's all about the excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do you understand how important it is for Jesus to not just be a name in your religion, but for Him to be the Lord of your life? So that you could join Paul in saying, anything in my life that cannot bring glory to God, glory to the Lord, I count it loss. And anything in my life that can be used for His Lordship, I will give it all to Him. You know, that wasn't always true of Paul. Back up, if you will, to Acts the ninth chapter. In Acts the ninth chapter, we see the day that Paul, back when his name at this point in time was Saul, he was one that was working against Christianity. He was persecuting Christians and he had done such a good job in Jerusalem that now he was going to work his way to some scattered cities and so he was on his way to Damascus. And on his way, that bright light shined down upon him And notice in verse 4, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Pause there for a moment. The bright light shines down, and the first time that his answer is, Lord, is that you? He didn't know who he's talking to. He would have believed in God as Lord, but then Jesus introduces himself. Yes, I am Lord. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the one you've been persecuting. And what you and I just read was the first time Saul ever called Jesus of Nazareth Lord. And notice how he followed it. Lord, what will you have me to do? Friends, that's powerful. It's not enough for me to say, sure, I believe there's a God. Yes, I know that Jesus Christ walked this earth. Intellectually, I know He died on the cross. I believe He resurrected. All of that is vanity if I do not understand that He is the Lord of my life. The captain of my ship. The one that I follow up Lord by saying, what will you have me to do? You see, there's coming a day. There's coming a day where we're going to know that that's all that matters. Look back again to Philippians, except this time look at Philippians 2. I'd like for you to see another way that Paul understands the importance of lordship. In Philippians, the second chapter, look at verse 9 and 10, Philippians 2. He's taking us a scene 
of the day of judgment. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To become a Christian is to understand that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord even though others may not understand He's Lord. And so what will be one of the final acts before the great separation of eternity? One of the great final acts is where every man and woman that has ever breathed through their nostrils, they're going to bow before the Lord. Even if He wasn't their Lord on the earth, they're going to bow before Him and in eternity they are going to confess with their lips, He is Lord. Life and eternity is blessed when we understand now that He is Lord. Someone says, well, give me just a quick definition. Discipleship. What's discipleship? It begins with Jesus being our Lord. Our Master. The one who has authority in everything in our life. Therefore, everything in our life, we submit to Him by saying, Thy will be done. Here I am. Send me. When we think about the great challenge that this Lordship presents and our submitting to Him, think about the story of Bill Rittenhouse. He was riding across Kansas. He saw a station wagon that was loaded and a suitcase flew off the top rack. He tried his best to flag the individual down to let them know that they had lost the luggage, but he failed. So he turned around and he drove back. He picked it up thinking that he could find some kind of evidence of the owner and return it and ship it to them. What he found was a suitcase full of things you would expect, but no ID. The only thing that gave him a clue was a box tightly bound with rubber bands. Inside it, he found cotton. And inside the cotton is a $20 gold coin. Now, on his gold coin that he found, it was one that was engraved as a gift from a cement company and had its name there to Otis Sampson, who had retired. And so he thought... That's enough information. I'll be able to find this man and return his luggage to him. He thought it would be easy, but he found out 75 phone calls later that it was a little harder than what he first thought. But on that 75th call, the man on the other end was Otis. He explained to him what he had and how he came about it. And Otis immediately cut through the conversation and said, Sir... I don't care about anything in that luggage. Nothing was of value except one thing. There was a gold coin. Please, please tell me you have it 
and that you'll return it. It is the most precious possession that I own. Bill said he would gladly return it and anything else that he wanted. They talked about the arrangements of where he would mail it to. And Bill decided, because of what Otis had said, that he would write him a personal note. And so Bill told him about how in World War II, he was a prisoner in a prison camp in Romania. And he told about his life there, how he evaluated his life in those prison cells. And how he found himself empty. He said, when I escaped from prison and finally made my way back to America, I decided I did not want to live an empty life. So he said, I began to search for the meaning of life. And he described to Otis how he had met the Lord Jesus Christ. A year passed from the time he mailed that letter. And it seemed like kind of out of nowhere, he too received a package and a letter. And it was from Otis Sampson. He said, Bill, enclosed, you'll find that I've returned the gold coin. He said, I also thought you would want to know This past week, my wife and I were baptized into Christ. He said, I'm 74 and she's 72. And you're the first man that ever introduced us to our Lord. I want you to have the gold coin and think of us from time to time. But we don't need it anymore. Because now Jesus is our most precious possession. Discipleship. It's about your Lord. Who do you value? Who's the captain of your ship? Who do you love more than anybody and anything? This month, we're not urging you to just become religious. This month, we're not urging you to just be moral. This month, we're not urging you just to love others. Our hope this month, and as long as this earth stands, is that this congregation will be a place that makes disciples. We're not asking you to read your Bible every day so you can check something off and brag about it. We're hoping that it will help you be a disciple. We don't ask you to get involved in the Lord's work so the church at Mount Juliet could have bragging rights. It's that we could grow and exercise our discipleship. This morning, if the greatest possession in your life is not the Lord... You're missing out on the greatest life. And if you know that you want to become a Christian this morning, we'd love to assist you with that as a believer, as repenting of sins and confessing before others that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Maybe this morning you evaluate your life and you see that the Lord has not been the Lord of your life. And you want to turn that around and and you want to take the captain off the back seat of your life and place him back in the helm of your life. Maybe you don't know what to do. And you just need to talk with someone. Listen, please don't leave here today without the Lord being the Lord of your life and all of us being His disciples. If we can help you, come as we stand.